Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme told live at the adults-only visual arts collective in Garden City, Idaho. I'm artistic director Jody Eichelberger. In the heat of the summer, we encourage you to go play in traffic under the guidance of our Story Story Stoplight. This month, Late Night Goes Green in our last show of the season with the theme Green Light on August 28, 2018 with featured storytellers Alejandro Anastasio, Lily Yasuda, and Jose Fuentes. The host for the evening marked a return appearance by Story Story Night co-founder and longtime host Jessica Holmes. The light's green. It's story time. Alejandro Anastasio. It was my golden fair. It was the 30th anniversary of the Oregon Country Fair, and I was turning 30 years old. All I wanted this fair to be was absolutely spectacular. And that's all I could think about when I was hiding out in this vendor's tent after the fair closed, hoping I don't get caught. And actually, I can't fucking believe I didn't get caught sneaking into that tent. That was just absolutely amazing. But I'm in there thinking, oh, I, I just hope I don't get caught. I hope I don't get caught. It was an amazingly scary moment, right? But I was actually excited because I beat the sweep at the Oregon Country Fair. The Oregon Country Fair is a three-day festival that runs from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then at about 6.45, they have this thing called the sweep. And they sweep out all the people that have general admission passes. And everyone else, the vendors, musicians, people that cook, can all spend the night at the fair. And they have this incredible party that everybody wants to go to. It's the place to be at the Oregon Country Fair, which is why they have this thing called the fucking sweep. Right? And they try to make it cool. They try to make it cool. They, they dress up as meter maids and uh, janitors and chimney sweeps, and they have these cute little songs as they're sweeping you out of the fucking party. They're like, okay, it's time to go. It's time to go. Because don't nobody want to get kicked out of a fucking party that's about to rage. Right? And then I'll tell you, because of that, what people have done to actually sneak into the Oregon Country Fair is legendary. Right? Yeah, people have buried themselves in the ground with a straw trying to breathe. <laughs> Yeah. They, they've hid underwater doing the same thing. People climb trees. They've even like painted themselves camouflage and held out, hung out in the woods. Like, it's just unbelievable. Now me, I was actually quite fortunate because earlier in the day, I ate about three and a half grams of hallucinogenic mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. I was having the time of my life. This was my golden fair, and I was shining. I was on fire. I was having fun, meeting people, going to shows, eating great food, doing more great drugs, just having a great, great time. And I actually connected with these two older women. Right? One was 74, and the other one was 54. And we became OCFBBFs. I mean, we were tight like this. right? And then I'm, I go on having my day at the fair. I'm having such a great time at the fair. And now it's time to go. The sweep is on. And I'm on my way out of the fair. And I think, oh, I should go visit my new friends and say goodbye. I get to their booth, and they're like, Alejandro, what are you doing? Well, isn't it obvious? Here comes the sweep. I'm about to get swept, and I'm going to go to my campground. And they're like, come here. Come into our booth. And I was like, what's up? And they're like, do you want to hang out at the Oregon Country Fair tonight? And I'm like, fucking green light. Yeah, of course I do. Right? And they're like, well, we want to sneak you in. And I, at that point, I knew. I said, well, that's a pretty risky thing. If you get caught, I'm, you're going to lose your booth. And they said, you know what? We, we believe you deserve to be here. We want you to be here. And we're willing to take that risk 
if you're willing to take that chance. Now, that's better than Willy Wonka's golden ticket. I'm like, I'm in. The next thing I know, I'm trying to sneak into her, her tent, and I'm, I'm, I'm on this fence line like this, right? looking really suspicious, but trying to be low-key. Right? <laughs> and then I'm on this fence line, and it, I am so about to get caught. Right? I'm looking at the tent where all the, there's people around the tent I'm trying to get in. And then this way, there's nothing but the sweep, the people that are trying to catch people like me. I'm on this fence, and I can hear these kids in a treehouse. They're like, hey, who's that dude? Does he have a wristband? And I'm like, holy fuck, this is it. I can't believe I'm about to get caught. And I'm going down this fence line, and then all of a sudden, the fence does this 180-degree divot. Yeah, no shit. I'm like, <laughs> fucking invisible. Right? <laughs> Yeah, the kids can't see me anymore, and I look at my tent of destination, and it's totally open. And then I look down this way, and Kay, the elder lady, she's walking with the sweep, going out of sight, and the other woman is giving me the green light. She's like, go, 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 and I start fucking running and dive into this tent, and then I beat the sweep, I beat the sweep. I'm hanging out in the Oregon Country Fair. I'm like, this could possibly be the greatest moment of my life, right? Yeah, because... I've been going to the Oregon Country Fair since 1993, yeah, and it means a lot to me. I've spent my entire life without two hands, and in a lot of ways, at a lot of times, with a lot of people, in a lot of places, I feel like I don't belong. But at the Oregon Country Fair, I always feel at home. So I always go back. And I'm so excited. I'm in the tent. I'm like, I beat the sweep. I beat the sweep. And I've already had an incredible day tripping on mushrooms. Incredible, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, what could make this night any better? Well, how about some liquid LSD? (laughs) And just at that moment, Kay comes in and her friend comes in and they smoke an incredible amount of cannabis with me. And they're like, okay, Alejandro, here is the deal. Okay, you don't have a wristband. Right? And you need to really embody and, and, and hold the spirit that you belong here. And you need to understand that we took the chance to sneak you in, and we believe you belong here, and you deserve to be here, but you have to believe it. And then the next thing I know, I'm walking arm in arm with these two beautiful older women around the fair. They are treating me right. They're taking me to the main stage. We're going to the drum circle. We're going to this hip-hop party. I'm seeing all these crazy people wearing crazy clothes, and I am tripping so hard I'm dripping. It's just un un <laughs> fucking believable. I'm having such a great time. I'm walking with these two ladies and I'm like, you know what? I do belong here. It was so cool. And then we came around the corner of this moment and then they let me go. They're like, goodbye Alejandro. We're we're going to bed. (laughs) You're on your own. I'm not sleeping. (laughs) You're on your own. So for the next four hours, I'm just tromping around the Oregon Country Fair. I'm having fun. I'm going to shows. I'm meeting people. I'm taking miscellaneous drugs. I don't even know. I'm just having this Well, for me, at that time of my life, it is like one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. Better than Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory and for sure better than anything Alice had in her wonderland. Yeah, I'm having a great fucking time. And then all of a sudden I realized that the place is kind of thinning out a bit, right? There aren't as many people around. People aren't rocking like they were. And I'm like, oh, it obviously has to be pretty late. And it is fucking cold, Right? I just realized now I'm really cold. Oregon coast, 3 o'clock in the morning. I need to find a place to sleep. Well, not sleep because I'm not sleeping. Right? I need to find a place to hang out. I need to do something. So I'm walking around the fair. All of a sudden, I roll up on this gigantic teepee. 
and I notice that there's a little fire in there. Yeah, this gigantic teepee out of nowhere and this little fire on the inside. I roll up to the entrance and there's this little note on the door. It says, this is a no talking, quiet, no drug taking place. Okay, perfect, right? <laughs> I kind of need a change of environment, right? So I, so I go in there and I sit down and there's all these miscellaneous people hanging out and, and uh, you know, we're just hanging out and people are starting to flow in and out and the environment's changing, people's changing. And after, I don't know, about an hour and a half or something like that, I was in there for a long time. There's about the same 14 people hanging out. And I realize that I am the same just like them. I am this wandering, lost, vagabond gypsy looking for a place to hang out and be warm and, I don't know, have some human comfort. Right? So the next thing you know, we all start getting really close. We all start leaning on each other. Next thing you know, arms are all on each other. Within moments, we are packed together, cuddling, spooning like nobody's business, like a pack of human animals, like wolves, using each other's body heat. Right? Now, it seemed like a really odd moment at the time, but I'm tripping, so what the hell? You know? And I'm just standing there like, cuddling with people I don't even know. We haven't said anything in two and a half hours. And I thought, you know what? This actually feels pretty good. Feels safe, feels kind, feels open, a little bit weird. You know, had nothing to do with the LSD, right? But okay, I can have this moment. It was actually pretty cool. And then I'm just laying there because I can't sleep. And then somewhere along the line, someone coughs or sneezes, something happened. And then all these humans started to shift and rumble and everyone was readjusting. It was just this weird moment. And all of a sudden, the two people that I'm spooning with turned over. Right? And now I'm totally free. <laughs> That's my go moment, right? So I grabbed all my stuff and I just started tromping around the Oregon Country Fair again. Next thing I know, I'm standing right in front of this guy. And he's just looking at me. I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. I'm looking at him. And I, finally, I said, can I help you? He didn't say anything. So I tried this approach. I said, cannabis, tobacco, beer. He said, yes. Right? <laughs> Okay, so I opened up my bag, I took out my last two beers, I lit two cigarettes, and I started smoking a joint, right? And we're having this conversation, and in my head, I think, you know what? I think I'm going to go into my little Oregon Country, bag, Oregon Country Fair bag and try to organize my stuff, right? Because, well, I've been tripping for the last 24 hours, so I need to, like, organize something. And I get in there, and, you know, I'm collecting stuff over the fairs and all this kind of stuff. I got all these miscellaneous drugs at the bottom, and, and then I remember, like, four fairs ago, I found this token on the ground right, this coin, and I had it in the bottom of my bag, and I pulled it out, and I was like, hey, man, do you know what this is? And he was like, ooh, yeah, I know what that is. That's a free pass to the Ritz. That's a token to the Ritz. And I was like, well, what the fuck is the Ritz? And he's like, that is a bathhouse and sauna. Yeah. Now, after 24 hours of LSD and mushrooms, I needed a fucking shower. Yeah, that's all I could think about was like warmth and cleanness, right? So I'm running to the Ritz. I get to the Ritz. I throw my coin on the table. I go through this, like, this curtain. And even though intellectually I knew what was coming, I was not prepared for what I saw because everyone was fucking naked. Right? And then even the band, the band on stage, the dude on the double bass is rocking. He's totally naked. Shit's flapping around. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, I was not ready for that, but I figured, well, okay, here I am. I might as well just take off all my clothes and start taking a shower. Oh, and it felt so good, right? Oh, I took that shower, and then I went into the sauna, and then I took a little more shower. I took an ice-cold shower and went back into the sauna, and I was doing this for, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 minutes until I felt completely cleansed. Oh, I felt so good and pure and clean, and then I was like, shit, I don't have a fucking towel, you know? 
yeah, what am I going to do? And then I look around, and in, in, in the Ritz, they have this fire pit. Next to the fire pit, they have these hot rocks that they heat up internally, and they radiate this incredible heat. And I'm like, well, okay, I should stand next to that thing and dry off, right? I got long hair. It's going to take a while. So now I'm standing in front of this hot rock, right? Like I'm, I'm in rotisserie mode. I'm doing this thing. <laughs> Just trying to dry off, right? And then the next thing I know, I have this feeling that I have felt my entire life. I have this feeling that people are watching me, looking at me, staring at me. It's a one-handed thing, right? It's something that I felt my entire life. So I pan over, like I'm looking this way, and I'm like, oh yeah, these, these motherfuckers are looking at me, right? So I'm like, I look over, and there's all these naked people staring at me in my acid tripping nakedness, right? Totally vulnerable, like holy shit, you know? And at first I thought I knew what they were looking at, right? I know. <laughs> Thanks for the giggle. Right? <laughs> I thought for sure I knew what they were looking at. I thought they were looking at the fact that I don't have two hands. But actually, they're noticing that I don't have a wristband. Right? Yeah. Totally naked, right? And I remember what Kay told me about like being at the fair and not having a wristband. And it's so interesting because I like locked into myself, I dropped into my center, and I looked at these people and I smiled deeply. And in my thinking, in my thinking, I said to all of them, I belong here. Right? And the whole moment totally dissolved. And there were these two people look like the pack of these humans. They just started like, bobbing their heads like, yeah, that's right. And I was like, yeah, that is fucking right. You know? <laughs> and then I finished drying off and I got my clothes on. And then I went, like, spent the morning waiting for the sunrise, looking for food, tripping on acid at the Oregon Country Fair. It was, at that time, one of the greatest experiences I have I ever had. A dream come true. But what is really interesting is that I learned so much about what it means to belong wherever you're at. What it means to feel good in your skin and own that and to, to know that you belong. And as a human being at any time in any place, that I belong here. And it's really interesting because I fucking belong here. sitting in front of my laptop in a full body sweat. And no, not because I've been masturbating or eating a bowl of ghost peppers or re-watching Saw 3, but because I have realized that I have 30 days to raise $30,000. Now, even if you're out there, maybe you're not great with numbers or like me, you blacked out all of the math you learned after, say, like <laughs> geometry, uh, 30 grand over 30 days still breaks down to about $1,000 a day. Now, perhaps the less intuitive part is, regardless of your particular medium, whether you raise on Kickstarter or GoFundMe or Indiegogo or something else, uh, the average donation is about $20, which means you need about 50 people to give you $20 every day for 30 days, and now you're starting to think about how many people you know, and I guarantee you that number is lower than the number you would like it to be. Um, you may think you're picky about the people you would ask for money, but around day 12, you start asking some weird people. You have neighbors from middle school. You don't even remember what their names are, but you have their emails and you are, you are reaching out. You are reaching out so hard. You have, you're on through your mom's Rolodex from like 2008. You're like, anybody we know, anybody, anybody whose email we have, we are now reaching out to them. Um, now you may be wondering, what the fuck do we need $30,000 for? Well, as this lovely lady may have given away, we need $30,000 to make a movie. 
Um, you may wonder to yourself, why do you need $30,000 to make a movie? And the short answer is because movies are expensive as fuck. Even really cheap movies, really low-budget movies, they're not that low-budget. It's, it's a lot of money to make even a very poor movie. Um, you need to feed and house and pay your crew and your cast, preferably. You need things like lights and cameras and sound equipment. Um, you need things like locations and permits. And then like 500 other things that I don't know what they are or why they're so expensive, but they are apparently vital to the success of your project. Just, just take my word for this. Um, so finally, you've assembled your team, you have all the staff, and it's also important to note, this is the bare bones. Like, we could not be making a cheaper movie than the movie that we are making. Nobody is getting paid minimum wage, okay? So many labor laws are violated. There were definitely minors on our set. I will now safely say there were minors, and they were there for more than 12 hours, and that is definitely not allowed, but now it's too late. It's too late. There's nothing you can do about that. Um, so no one is getting paid minimum wage. A lot of people are not getting paid at all. Okay, so this $30,000, high though it may seem, this is the bare bones. We can't do it for less than what we were shooting for. It's also important to note the stakes of why this project is so important. Now, among other things, uh, our director, uh, the lovely Mr. Michael Wolf, who is officially out of my house as of like three days ago, so thank you, God, um, but uh, has quit both of his jobs to drive all the way down here from Los Angeles to spend two months living in a state he knows nothing about um, to get paid no money with a crew he's never met in a city he's never heard of. So that already is, that's a pretty high bar of why we're here. Now, meanwhile, on my end, I have literally just graduated from an incredibly expensive arts program, the merits of which are questionable, but uh, are very much solidified on my father's fridge, so thank you very much. Um, and I have chosen, of my own accord, not to have a job. I'm applying for nothing. I am making absolutely no income of any kind in order to work on this project for the duration of the summer. This project has been in the works for over two and a half years. Um, everything we have is on the line. And should we not be able to raise this money, this project is dead and there is nothing we can do about it. Now there's also sort of a third level of pressure on me specifically, as opposed to Michael, who we could infer from his name. I suppose he could be ethnic, but he's very white. Michael, he's a white man, you can envision him here. Um, I myself am not a white man, as you may have also inferred. Um, and this becomes a third level of pressure, which Shonda Rhimes refers to as being the FOD. Um, Shonda Rhimes, some of you may know, yeah, yeah, amazing, yeah, Grey's Anatomy, get it, yes. Um, so Shonda Rhimes is a showrunner and producer. She runs Grey's Anatomy, she runs Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, there's definitely something trashy you watch on Thursday nights, all of you, even you, sir. Yes, I, you've, you've seen an episode of Grey's, maybe somewhere along the line. I bet you enjoyed it, no shame. Um, and uh, she's also a woman of color. She's an African-American woman. Her net worth is about $120 million, and she's debatably the most powerful woman in the TV industry, period. Um, now, what she means when Shonda refers to the FOD, which stands for first, only, different, means that when people who are, generally speaking, not white men, in so many words, choose to do something in a professional industry, the scrutiny is not only on they, the individual, but then on what they represent as a people. If you are an African-American woman who makes a TV show that fails, network executives may take away that African-American women should not have TV shows. If you are a queer woman who makes a film that doesn't do very well, the takeaway may be movies about female sexuality are not interesting to a public audience. That may seem narrow-minded to you, but it's true and people do think that. So for me, not only is it I am choosing to have no job and live at home and put basically all of the money I have into this project over which I have to raise 30K in like a hot month, um, but then it also becomes what this represents for me as a person of color. We think that's a gross word, but we'll use it because it's like technically appropriate. Um, so what does this mean for me? people like me, Japanese people, women, 
people with bangs. There's a lot on the line, you guys. Like, there are a lot of people with bangs, especially in here. I don't know about the Japanese people. I think there's one over there, but there's lots of bangs. So at least, at least half of the ladies here get me. We're hip, we're in Garden City, we get it. Um, so all of this is on the line. We get ready. I'm the one who has to physically launch the campaign. Still sweating. There's so much like moisture in my bra, it's alarming. I get ready to click launch. After I click launch, we have four weeks to raise 30K. If we do not raise at least 80%, we will not get a green light, which means we receive none of the funds we have raised and the project is over. I get up, I make a snack, I clean everything in the house. I go buy Clorox wipes. I go wipe down everything in the house with Clorox wipes. Then I return to the computer, I click launch, boom, we're live. One day down, 29 to go, let's see how it goes. Now, here's what they don't tell you about crowdfunding. The first day is really fucking easy. The first day, everyone's jacked. Like, all of the obvious people you know are like, yeah, let's give you $1,000. And you're like, cool, great. And at the end of day one, assuming, again, $1,000 a day, we're doing the math. We're math people now. Uh, at the end of the first day, let's say you made three grand. And you go, that's pretty good. I don't have to make any money for the next two days, and I'll still be on track. <laughs> and day two, you make some money. You're like, wow, look, we even made some Day three, still making some money. Now, it's around, like, day 12 that shit gets sketchy, okay? <laughs> Because if we're doing our math, day 12, we should have about $1,200. And we were at day 12, and we'd made about 800, we'd made, excuse me, about 8,000. We had made more than $800, $8,000. My comma placement is bad. $8,000 at about day 12, which is um, less than $1,200. So now we're starting to panic. And by we, I mean me. I am starting to panic. I am starting to lose my goddamn mind. And it's starting to really freak out my dad, who I'm living with. He's over here. We can, he's great. Thank you, Dave. Um, so he's like, you really, he's like, you need to get out of the house. He's like, you literally do nothing but sit in front of the computer and like refresh. Like every 90 seconds on the dot, we're like refreshing and that percentage is not going up. We have made no money in almost five days. And when I say no money, I don't mean metaphorically like little money. I mean no money at all. Like the bar has not changed. There, there is no money coming in. And now we're starting to freak out. So he's like, we're having a family movie night. We're all going to go out. We're going to go see The Incredibles 2. It's going to be dope. You have to come. I'm like, I don't want to come. He's like, no, no, you have to come. I'm like, okay, so I go. I bring a stack of flyers publicizing the film because every opportunity is an opportunity to network. Bookmark that. You're welcome. That's worth like a substantial amount of money. And uh, we go into the theater. I stick a flyer in every single bathroom stall in the women's bathroom at the downtown Edwards. Awesome. And I even know people that saw them. And they were like, yeah, I saw them. I was like, I totally thought the people were going to take them down. Like, that's definitely not allowed. Like, I did not, have, there's no way that's allowed. But apparently, the cleaning staff at the Edwards does not care about the sanity of their bathrooms, which is pretty straightforward. Um, so we're sticking up flyers. We go into the movie. It's packed. There's like 7 million, like, 12-year-old boys, like, dicking around. So we have to sit separately. I get a good seat in the middle. There's, like, two posses of, like, annoyingly tween men around me. And there's, like, a baby kicking my seat. And, like, you know, but this is what I've signed up for. Lights go out, and then we start trailers. And then I remember why I hate PG-rated movies. It's because of the trailers. Also the baby, but mostly the trailers, right? If you go see an R-rated movie, I'm not saying the trailers are going to be good, but you've at least like, got some variety. You go to see a PG movie, there's literally only two things you can see. There's like everything DreamWorks has ever made. Like somehow they're like, there is a promo for Shrek 3. And you're like, that came out like 15 years ago. Like what the fuck is going on? And then there's like one movie about horses. And you're like, I, I should have just come 30 minutes later. Like, I've made a terrible choice. So we're there. And finally, we get to see the trailer for Hotel Transylvania 3. Now, 
I don't know how familiar we are as an audience with the Hotel Transylvania franchise, but I'll sum it up for you. If you are not familiar, good on you. If you need some context, it's basically like Despicable Me, but with vampires. Uh, Adam Sandler is in it. Selena Gomez is in it. Need I say more? We get the picture. And there's three of them. So, like, you know this one is definitely, like, the highest of qualities. And uh, for the record, I did not know this at the time, but having done research since, uh, the budget for that film is about $80 million, right? Which again, we're math people now, is about two million times what the budget is for my movie, of which I have raised like 20% of. So I'm sitting in this theater surrounded by like these angsty 12-year-olds, and I'm hit by how much money went into this movie that's just objectively terrible. I haven't seen it, so like maybe someone's gonna change my mind, but nothing you say will change. This movie's terrible. (laughs) And there's so much money that went into something that shouldn't even exist in the first place. And the injustice of all of this hits me. And I haven't eaten anything except like like endless amounts of like LaCroix and like fruit for like three weeks. And I literally start crying. I'm sitting in this theater and like the 12 year olds see this and they're like, what is going on? And I'm like, I just, I'm an artist and it's feeling a lot. And everyone's like, oh my God, why is this happening? So we get out of the movie, we end up going out to sushi. I literally just sit in the bathroom of the sushi restaurant and cry. I'm like, my movie is dead. I'm like, there's nothing I can do. And this is not some sort of like, I'll take out a small $30,000 loan. Like, no, you will not fucking take out a, like, there, there, is, there is no other way out. And I have this moment, I'm like, look, all that matters, we have to get the green light. You have to get the green light. Even if the, the movie is sketchy, whatever. And the, like, we need 100% of the funds, but I'm like, we have to get the green light. If we get 80%, we will be solid. It will happen. We will make it work. Now, I'm very happy to say that uh, exactly two weeks later, we did, in fact, get the green light. Thank you, thank you. Uh, We, in fact, not only met, but surpassed our goal by several thousand dollars. So thank you. We had checks in the mail. It was a very exciting time. I had, like, everyone I've ever met texted me and was like, congratulations. And it does that little thing where, like, it animates the congratulations. And there's, like, confetti and shit. And you're like, yeah, this is good. I posted about it on, like, every social media outlet that exists, even, like, ones I didn't know were real. I was like, I made a movie, and then like someone liked it. I was like, I feel validated. Um, so it was great. And I felt like I should feel really great. But mostly I felt like, well, that wasn't the right step, right? The real step is once we start production. Once we start making the movie, that's where I'll feel like we made a movie. And so we started production, right on schedule. We got our team in town. There's like, again, like 7,000 like college boys living in my house that is like not my jam exactly, but like, you know, they're our team. We love them, thank you. And we get into production, it's going well. But I still don't really feel any different. I don't really feel, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I don't feel this big surge of like accomplishment and pride and excitement. I just feel really tired and like I'm not doing enough. Like we have the money, but like what if it's not good? Or what if we don't finish it? Or like I wrote it, I produced it, and I was also in it. Like what if I'm not doing a good job as a performer? Or what if I didn't do a good job as a writer? Or what if the reason we're having problems on set is because like I didn't take the time to like write my fucking character Bible, which I said I was gonna do for like nine months. Like that never exists. There, there is no version of that character Bible that ever happened anywhere on any hard drive, sorry. Um, and so I'm not, having this, I'm not having this big epiphany of like joy and excitement. And we're like, this is what I want to do for a living. This is what I went to school for. My parents spent like a shitload of money for me to do this. And that's not even really the point of the story. I know we like to shit on like, oh, arts degrees are expensive and that's why they're useless. But it's more like I've spent four years doing nothing but this. And all of my friends have assistant jobs and like they're answering the phone, like getting people coffee, maybe important people, but they're not doing this. Like this is the job. This is the test run of the job that I want and I'm doing it and I don't feel anything. Right? I feel like tired and sweaty and like, like I've discovered that like my boobs sweat a lot and like my mic like would not stay in there. Like there was like so much tape that had to happen, but that's kind of it. 
I'm feeling very sweaty. And then we finish production, and I'm like, okay, well, that's it. That's, that's where you're going to feel like you're, you're going you're to have that last cut, and, like, you're going to hug and, like, go out and, like, do shrooms, and it's going to, like, change your mind. We did not do shrooms. Our whole crew left, like, five hours after we wrapped. And then it was just me. And I was like, wow, you should feel really accomplished. And I had all these people that were like, you should feel so, and I was like, I don't feel anything. And if anything, I just felt overwhelmed by how much was ahead of us. Right? I don't know how much you know about movies, but even once you're done shooting the movie, you have to like color it and get sound. There's like a billion other things. Like we're looking at like two more years of work before we're done. We're looking at 12 more months of work before I will actually get to see the movie. And that was just overwhelming to me. And I was like, what am I missing? Like, what am I not getting here? And so then I spent a lot of time literally just lying in bed and watching Hollywood Reporter interviews because that seemed like the only way to possibly help myself. And I stumbled across something that really struck me. It's an interview uh, with Jeffrey Tambor. You might know from Arrested Development or the Eloise at Christmas Time franchise. I don't know if anyone was in on that in like the early 2000s, yes. Um, but uh, he's asked by the interviewer, uh, what do you wish you'd known when you were younger, when you were starting out in the industry? And he says, in so many words. When you're young, you think that there's going to be some big in. There's going to be the right premiere, or the right award, or the right part, or the right party, and then you're gonna be in, where all of the, where all of the professionals are, and your life will be different. He goes, you feel like you're Cinderella waiting to get invited to the ball. And he goes, I wish I had known there is no ball. There is no ball. And right now, what you were doing, this is it. And right now, the way that you are, this is as good as you're ever going to be right now. And the sooner that you can find comfort in that, the sooner you will be able to be really good. And so I thought about, thank you. Thank you. I don't know if we should applaud Jeffrey Tambor, but like, yes, his words are wise. Thank you. It's a complicated time. Um, I thought about that. And I think that was the first thing that really made me feel better. Like maybe I had done something. Maybe not enough. And God knows how this movie will turn out. But that was the first time I felt like I'd accomplished something. And it made me go back to how much pressure there was on the green light, right? That getting the green light would be the thing that would mean all this stuff, and that at the end of the day, maybe that was just a bunch of arbitrary pressure on an arbitrary number, and that that didn't really mean anything. But that when you think about what it means to sit at the green light, what it means to sit at the stop sign and wait for the light to turn, that's the moment. I think that's the moment that he was talking about, right? It's not so much what it feels like to accelerate out but it's what it feels like to sit there and wait, knowing that you're going to have exactly the moment where you get to be turned into something new, right? You sit there, and the light turns green. It flashes. Foot on the gas. Green means go. Thank you. Jose Fuentes. All right. So the year's 2016. Uh, I'd been stationed at Mountain Home Air Force Base for about six months at this point, and I couldn't get laid to save my life. Uh, <laughs> wasn't for a lack of trying. And it sucked because, like, uh, I was coming from South Korea. I spent a year and a half there, and it was super easy to get laid. <laughs> like, I really didn't have to put any effort into it. Like, uh, just an example, like, one time I went to a bar, and I, I asked the bartender, I was like, can I buy an alcoholic beverage? And he was like, did you say you wanted to have sex with a woman right now? And I was like, it's not what I said, but I'm not going to turn that down. <laughs> no, seriously, women over there were trying to get themselves and their families to the States, trying to get themselves visas. So they used any means they could to uh, get them, you know what I mean? And uh, 
you know, imagine my surprise when I come back to the States and immediately get reminded that, like, women have standards and shit, and uh, <laughs> they're not actually attracted to, like, fat, average height Mexican dudes. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I went, like, six months without getting laid. I, like, my confidence was shot. Uh, I kind of, like, forgot how to talk to women, and uh, one of my buddies saw that I was struggling, so he was like, dude, you should, like, get on Tinder. Um, and I knew what it was at first, but uh, kind of wasn't into it, but what I was doing wasn't working, so I was like, you know what, fuck it, let's do it. Uh, so I download the app, uh, and the way it works is pretty simple. If uh, you don't like someone, you swipe left, it gives you a little red notification. Uh, if you do like someone, you swipe right, it gives you a little green notification, and there's a chance you can match with them. Um, so I started swiping right a lot. <laughs> uh, but like I said, I was living in Mountain Home. Mountain Home's like a really small town. And uh, the default range on Tinder is like 10 miles or something like that. Um, so I was just getting girls that were like in that town and on base. And I was like, I need to spread my wings some more. Uh, so I extended the range out to about 50 miles and I started matching with girls that were in Boise. But then again, there's like a long stretch of road between Mountain Home and Boise. So I was like, let's extend the range out again. 100 miles. Uh, that was great for me. Like I started uh, talking to women that were in Caldwell like, and to Twin Falls, everywhere in between. Um, and it was working out really well. Uh, started talking to a lot of women, started meeting a lot of women. My confidence was back up. Most importantly, started sleeping with a lot of women. <laughs> and uh, I, that kind of ended up being a little bit of a problem though. Like, uh, wasn't the most mature in that situation. And uh, I ended up talking to too many women at the same time. Uh, I was talking and sleeping with about 20 women. Yeah. And I'm that guy. <laughs> and uh, I started like getting them mixed up and like forgetting conversations, right? So I was like, I'm getting myself in trouble. I need to like cut my numbers down. So I did, I was, I was really responsible. I went to two. <laughs> one was living in Boise, the other one was living in Twin Falls. So there was like a lot of space between them. I wasn't really worried. Uh, <laughs> but like every weekend I would still like go out and I would try uh, to get laid because I'm mature and uh, if I did, it was cool, but if I didn't, I would just, like, you know, hit up whoever I was closer to that night, and, uh, you know, we'd do our thing. So, that kind of setup was going on for about three months, um, and then uh, the girl from Swim Falls, she, like, sends me a text message. She was like, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? And I was, like, completely caught off guard, because it was 2016 at this point. We met on Tinder, and, like, we didn't have conversations. Uh, like, literally, we had three-word conversations and emojis. So, it was like, <laughs> are you up? What are you doing? Smiley face, winky face, eggplant emoji, squirt, 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 peach, question mark, that kind of shit, you know what I mean? Like, not very intellectual conversations. So, uh, so I was like, I mean, I'm a big dude, so I could eat. So I went over to her house, uh, and I knocked on the door because it, I'm a gentleman, and she didn't have a doorbell. So I knock on the door, she tells me to come in, and uh, who do I see sitting in the living room but the girl from Boise? I know, right? It's fucking crazy. Uh, this happened two years ago. I still have no idea how they knew each other. <laughs> and uh, as soon as she sees me, she just like immediately starts yelling at me because of course she did. Like, come on. And uh, I was like, this isn't really for me. I'm not comfortable. Uh, <laughs> I don't feel safe. I'm going to fucking leave. So I turn around and I start like walking out the door. And uh, as I'm walking though, like I... <laughs> 
the, the girl from Twin, she comes around the corner. She's like, wait, don't leave. And I was like, why the fuck should I stay? She said, well, we, could, we have to talk about this. We could, go, we could like, have drinks and stuff like that. And I was like, you said drinks. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> so uh, we go to her kitchen. She pours me a glass of wine. She leaves a big bottle of red wine like, sitting right in front of me. And I'm like, all right, let's fucking do this shit. As soon as I go to take a sip, like, I just hear the anger and vitriol and just the hatred like, like going right in my face. And I'm like, this isn't fun. So I'm going to drink faster. So sure enough, I started drinking faster and faster and faster. A few minutes go by, and uh, that little voice in my head started to get a little bit louder. And he was like, dude, don't sit here and just get yelled at, yell back. And I was like, it's a great idea, voice in my head. <laughs> so that's what I did. I started like screaming back. And we got into like a back and forth screaming match. And I was like, this is the best idea ever. And I kept drinking the entire time, too. So uh, <laughs> uh, the voice in my head got a little bit louder again. And he's like, Dude, I don't know about you, but this kind of feels like a green light situation. You should totally make out with one of these girls right now. <laughs> and I questioned it for a second, then I was like, it's a great idea, voice in my head. It's a great idea. So I did. <laughs> Started making out with one of the girls, and uh, for a couple seconds, it was going pretty well. Like, she was kissing me back, and I was like, oh, maybe this was the right thing to do. And then she, like, pushed me away, slapped the shit out of me. And she was like, you're a fucking asshole. And I was like, well, you're not wrong. And <laughs> then the, girl, the other girl, she like looked at me and she's like, yeah, you're a fucking dick. And she slapped the shit out of me too. And I was like, again, with the facts and the slaps, like I'm not, <laughs> I don't know what to do here. So uh, I don't know, like we kept yelling back and forth. But then I don't know, one thing kind of like led to another. And the girl from Twin, she like ended up kissing on me too. And yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and everybody was drinking so uh so yeah she ended up kissing on me too and like we all ended up kind of like kissing on each other and then she was like let's go up to my bedroom i was like word that's <laughs> fucking green light let's do this shit so uh we're going up the bedroom and i was like little voice in my head you were totally right he's like yeah i know you should listen to me more <laughs> so uh we go up to her bedroom. We end up having a threesome. Uh, and I was, like, super excited about it. It wasn't, like, great sex, though. We were all drunk. It was sloppy. Uh, <laughs> next morning, I wake up. <laughs> I'm, like, hungover. I'm groggy. And, like, uh, when I woke up, like, I could, you know, kind of see shapes, not really know what was going on. Um, but I was, like, I need to get the fuck out of here. I need to, like, go <laughs> now. Uh, so I find, my, I, I find my shirt, put it on. Um, trying to find my phone, my wallet, my keys, uh, trying to find my pants as I'm looking for everything. I hear this noise, right? It's like, zzzz. I was like, what the fuck is that? Look around the room, don't see anything. I'm like, fuck it, whatever. Uh, I go to put my pants on, right? And I get them around my ankles. And I hear the noise again. It's louder this time. Zzzz. I was like, I heard it again. I know I'm not tripping now, right? And uh, I scan the room one more time. And this girl has like a big walk-in closet, right? And she has her light on. And I see her walking out. And she's holding something. But like I said, I was like hungover, groggy. I could, I was like, I could see the shape and I could see that she was holding something like this, right? I thought that shit was a gun. I thought I was about to die. I, but like bright side, I would like go out like a legend, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but, but I was like, yo, I'm like, I'm not trying to die today. I'm gonna fucking leave and like try not to get shot at. So I, fuck, I say, fuck the pants, just kick them out. Um, but I have my phone, my wallet, my keys in my hand. I start making my way to the door. Um, 
But before I like actually get to it, I hear the noise again. And like now, because I'm like scared out of my mind, I immediately sober up, right? I look back one time and uh, I see what it is. It's a big drill though. <laughs> Some of y'all know what it is, cool. <laughs> For those of you that don't, it's a drill with a big dildo at the end of it. And uh, anytime she'd pull the trigger, like it would spin and pulsate. So that's what the sound was, like zzzz, right? <laughs> And, uh, and I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> She's like, this is your fucking punishment. This is what you get for fucking with me and my friend. And I was like, no! <laughs> not about to get involuntarily sodomized by a drill. It's not gonna happen tonight. Uh, so I, like, I said, fuck this. I made my way to the door. Then the girl from Boise, she's like five foot even. She ended up like, you know, doing a defensive stance, like walking out the door. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? She's like, you're not leaving. I was like, fuck, no, I'm not. And I heard the fucking drill again. And slapped my leg. I was like, fuck! <laughs> so I square up. I'm like, yo, I gotta, I'm defending my asshole right now. So I square up with this girl. <laughs> and I kind of like start swiping at her. And I'm kicking at the other girl, trying to make sure she's not getting at me. Right? <laughs> so I'm like swiping at her. But that's what I fucked up. Like, I should have gotten to know these girls better for real. Because this girl, <laughs> this girl, she ends up grabbing my wrist. Right? And she performs a picture-perfect hip throw. Like, this girl was trained in some form of martial arts, and I had no idea. But like, I ended up falling flat on my back, and I'm hurting. I'm just like, oh my god. There's an impenetrable, def <laughs> impenetrable defense blocking my way to the door. I need to find another way out. There's no way I'm getting past this girl. Um, so I, so I, I scan the room right before I get up, and I see a window, right? I'm like, boom, window. That's my fucking way out of here. I grab my phone, my wallet, my keys, and I just run. I'm like, fuck these girls. I get to the window, I open it up, and I look down and I'm like, fuck, I'm on the second floor. <laughs> I'm on the second floor, like, this isn't gonna end well. Uh, but then I hear the noise again and I hear him talking shit, you fucking asshole, you gonna jump? I was like, absolutely, I'm gonna jump. This is, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna stay here. So, <laughs> so I end up like leaning over the fucking window, like I get one leg over. I still bottom half naked, by the way. <laughs> this entire time I never put my pants back on. And <laughs> So, so I'm leaning out of the window, and uh, they're talking shit to me, like fucking pointing the drill at my face. And I'm like, fuck you guys, I'm talking shit back because I'm, you know, extremely mature. And uh, <laughs> uh, I end up like losing my balance uh, while I'm sitting on this windowsill. And I end up just like straight falling out of the window. Hard. Like, <laughs> it wasn't a soft landing because like underneath the window was just like a bed of rocks. I know, right? It was like beautiful landscaping wise, but it wasn't the best design for an escape route. <laughs> so, so I get up and the girls are like laughing at me. Why wouldn't they, you know? <laughs> so the girls are laughing at me. I get up. I'm like, all right, I got to fucking go. And uh, I start walking. And that's when I realized like I'm in a lot more pain than I thought I was going to be in. Uh, so I end up just like kind of limping, right? And I'm like, I can't really move my right leg because I landed really fucking hard. So I ended up just like kind of dragging my leg. And I'm like, I can't really stand up anymore because my back hurts. Uh, so I ended up just fucking crawling. Like no shit, army crawling my way to my car. Luckily it was in the front yard so I could like see my car. But uh, here I am, bottom half naked, just army crawling my way over to my car. <laughs> uh, and it's like nine o'clock in the morning so it, like there was people out. <laughs> Oh my God, so I get to my car, 
I open the door, I turn it on, and I'm like, all right, I'm safe. I can leave now. But before I drive away, I like lower the window and I yell out at the top of my lungs because again, I'm very, very mature. I still fuck both of y'all. And I start to drive away. <laughs> and as I'm driving away, I'm trying to like, you know, think back and like, you know, figure out how the fuck I got myself in that situation. Um, and the only thing that really came to mind was that they started talking about drinking. I was like, fuck yeah, let's do that. Um, so I was like, you know what? I need to kind of chill on the drinking a little bit. Uh, but this was a couple years ago. You know what I mean? I didn't realize that I had a drinking problem at this time. Uh, so in hindsight, like looking back, like I, I can actually like, you know, say that alcohol had like a real grip on my life. You know what I mean? It was affecting everything that I was doing. Uh, it affected my relationships, my friendships, work, finance, family, everything. And uh, this is just one of the many mistakes that I made. Like I said, it's two years ago. That's a long time for an alcoholic to fuck shit up. So, <laughs> uh, and I did. I made a lot of mistakes like since then until just now. Um, but you know what? I don't regret any of it. I don't regret any of the red light situations that, were def that I definitely thought were green because I was like drunk off my ass. Um, because if I didn't have those uh, experiences, if I didn't you know, go through all that, I wouldn't be standing here right now. Um, and I'm six months sober now. So. So if anyone wants to buy me a drink, make sure it's not alcoholic. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Story Story Late Night is brought to you by our story party. Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Anna Mae Schaefer, Aaron Moore, Marnie Ellis, Nicholas Borden, and me, Jody Eichelberger. Thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the Green Light Show sponsor, Acme Bake Shop. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evett, with podcast production by Stephen Baldessare, featuring live music from Ashley Rose. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube at Story Story Night.